So good to see you all here this morning. For those of you who are in our video teaching service today, good morning to you. I look forward to being back with you next week. And thank you for the sacrifice that those of you who are in our video teaching service make. For those of you who were here last week, uh, our church is growing faster than our building has the ability to hold. So we're doing church kind of in a couple different places. And if we don't have a church who's willing once a month for their service to be video teaching while their kids enjoy ministry and we enjoy community and they get to serve... Yeah, it just won't work for a few years. We're working with the city of Lee Summit right now. We're working with our architect. We're hoping to, to break ground maybe sometime next year to get us all back together. Uh, but it takes your willing sacrifice to watch a video. So thank you to those of you who are doing that today. Uh, if you have your Bible, we're in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to hang out in our Bible study time today. Take your Bible study resources out of your bulletin so that you can follow along. And these are important, more important than normal Bible study resources. We always give out notes so that you can take take notes, but these are notes you're going to want to keep, either the paper notes or your app notes that you can email to yourself because next week these notes may be an answer to a question next month, next year, for the rest of your life. I think you'll go back to these notes and say, hey, here's what I learned about the Bible because we're in a series called Foundations, why you can trust the Bible. And what we're trying to do in this series is help Christians understand the foundation of their faith through scripture so they have great confidence to read the Bible and think, okay, this is how God wants me to live my life. But more than that, this is an equipping series. Every Christian should at some point ask themselves the question, can I really trust the Bible? Like that's, that's a step a Christian should take and then they should learn the answers. But every Christian should be willing to answer that question for their friend. Hey, why do you trust the Bible? Why should I trust the Bible? So this is a series to equip you to do that. If you're here and you're not a Christian, first, thanks for being here on our Chiefs Sunday. Um, You say, Christian, why aren't you wearing Chiefs gear? My goal is not to get people to love the Chiefs. My goal is to get people to love Jesus because once someone loves Jesus, they'll love the Chiefs. So like if I can accomplish my role, I don't have to worry about jerseys. I just have to worry about Jesus. He'll take care of jerseys. I'm not looking at anyone in particular in any other jerseys today. Um, But if you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. We, We want you to come learn as much as you need to learn spiritually to to maybe lean into Jesus at our church. But this series really isn't a convincing series. I don't think we're going to go from zero to Christian in this series, but I think we will pull some options off the table. If you say, well, I've not been a Christian because I don't know all these answers. I think we're going to give you some. So we're going to maybe move you down the line of your spiritual journey and what you believe about the Bible. And what we're doing is we're just having conversations. We're, we're answering questions. The first two weeks of the series, we've answered these two questions. What's the purpose of the Bible and how do we really know that it came from God? Those are the first two conversations we have. What's the purpose of the Bible? How do we really know it came from God? And kind of our philosophical presupposition was this. If there is a God, we started with the if. If there really is a God who created humanity to have a relationship with them, wouldn't we expect him to tell them that? Philosophically, we said, yeah, that would make sense. The next question then would be, well, how how would he do that? Those are the two questions we tried to answer. If there's a real God and he created people so that he could live in relationship with them, like he would tell them that, he wouldn't hide from them, right? I I think our thought is yes. If, If that was the case, he would tell them. Then how would he tell them? Those were the first two conversations we had. We learned about general revelation that God says he built into the world, into the universe, things that said, hey, there's something bigger than you out here. You can't stand on a mountain or at the edge of the ocean or on a beautiful starry night and not feel there's something greater in the universe. And general revelation leads us to special revelation. General revelation gets our attention that there's something bigger. Special revelation 
begins to speak to our heart and mind about who that person might be. What can we know of God? It appears there is a God. What can we know of him? And if he's talking to us, how would he do that? So we looked at the Bible and we said the Bible is this special collection of 66 books that give us strong reasons to choose. If you're taking notes, you might underline that word choose. We still have to choose to believe that the Bible came from God. We said Christianity takes faith, but not blind faith. There's lots of good reasons, but they are good reasons to kind of place your faith in Jesus, and you still have to have faith to please God, the author of Hebrews says. So that's where we've been the first two weeks. Today, we're going to have this conversation. Is the Bible we have today the same one that was originally written? Maybe I could rephrase it this way. Is the book that we hold today a reliable historical document, or has it been changed every few hundred years so radically and dramatically that... We really can't know who God is or what God wants for us. Is this a reliable historical document? And then our final two conversations will be this. Is the Bible written to us, like today? Or was it written to people thousands of years ago for them? Is the Bible a document for them then? And it doesn't really mean anything to us. Or is, is, it, a, is it a book for us now? And God knew when he wrote it what, how, what he would want us to do and how he wanted, would want us to live our life in 2019 and 2020. And once we answer that, our last conversation will be this. Does the Bible still have spiritual authority in our lives today? If it was for us, does God still want us to do what is in it? Today, we're having this conversation. Can we trust that the original Bible has been preserved in what we hold today? Uh, I've got two goals for today for you. Number one, I want to help you understand the overwhelming evidence for why the Bible is a trustworthy historical document. You're writing in your notes the word evidence, but I want you to circle the word overwhelming. Today's message may be too overwhelming educationally. I'm really going to speak to your head today. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you don't listen to the podcast this week, you'll miss half of today's message because today's message is, is just information heavy. There's just so much overwhelming evidence that this can be trusted as reliable history. All the inspiration this week is on the Activate podcast. Now that we know that, how does it change our life? So this is kind of a two-part message, one today, one on the podcast. So try to listen to that because we're going to present some overwhelming resources and evidence that the Bible is a historical, trustworthy document. And then two, once we learn that, my hope is to turn your appreciation for scripture into action as a student of scripture. Hey, if it's really from God and he wants me to know it, I should know it. I should study it. I should learn it. I should do it. A doctor named Luke, who lived 2,000 years ago, is going to help us in our study today from Luke chapter 1. And every time we read the Bible at our church, we kind of pause and ask that God's word would come alive in our hearts and our lives. So if you would hear and in our video teaching service, just bow your heads with me quickly. Take a deep breath. Try to leave the clutter of last week there. Leave it there. Can't change anything that happened last week. Try to put the to-do list of next week on hold. It'll be there when church is over. And in this moment, just kind of in this moment, let's live intentionally trying to hear from God. If you're a praying person, would you whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to you today, show you what you need to learn, to trust more deeply, and to follow more passionately? God, that's our prayer. Show us what we need to know. Every time the people of God read the word of God, the spirit of God has the ability to Make it come alive in their hearts and in their lives. Show us what we need to hear today, what we need to learn today to trust better and to be more active in our pursuit of you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Luke chapter one, we're gonna read verses one through four says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants 
of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Let me give you a brief setup of of the New Testament. For those of you who are Bible nerds, you might write down some of these numbers. There are 27 letters, 27 books in the New Testament. Those are written by nine different authors. 27 books written by nine different authors. Three of them were disciples of Jesus. Matthew, John, and Peter wrote a lot of the New Testament. One of them was a personal friend of Jesus. His name was Mark. Two of them were brothers of Jesus, James and Jude. One was a supernaturally called apostle to the Gentiles. His name was the apostle Paul. We have the author of Hebrews. We don't know who he is. His name is not in the document, but he appears to be kind of a, kind of a first century, first generation Jewish scholar who followed Jesus. And then we have Luke. And Luke is different. Luke is the outlier. Luke is the only Gentile author of New Testament scripture, which means he was non-Jewish. Luke is the only second generation author of New Testament scripture, which means he did not live and follow Jesus personally. Watch this. Luke was a second generation author of scripture. He was a first generation skeptic of Jesus. See that? He was a second generation follower of Jesus But he was a first generation, a skeptic of Jesus. You say, how do you know that? Because as he starts writing to his friend Theophilus, he said, I heard all about it, but I had to check it out. It's a story that seems too good to be true. I heard all about it, but after hearing about it, I had to check it out. I had to make sure. And now that I have checked it out, I want to tell you I'm really, really certain about it. Look at Luke 1 verse 4. This this second generation follower, first generation skeptic becomes our teacher today. He said, here's why I'm writing this, because I want you to know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Lots of people are writing about Jesus. I heard about it, had some some questions, checked him out, and here is what I learned. And he begins to tell us who Jesus is, and here's what he tells his friend Theophilus. Here's what you need to know. You can trust Scripture. You can trust the things being written about Jesus. Let me say it again. You can trust the things being written about Jesus. Theophilus, you can trust it. That's the title of our Bible study today. You can trust it. Luke says, I was a skeptic. I'm now a follower, but I've checked it out historically. You can trust it. Today, we're asking, can we trust the original Bible has preserved in what we hold today? And there are three things that say yes, but say is probably an understatement. There are three things that shout, yes, you can trust that the Bible is a reliable historical document. What are those three things? Proof number one. I believe they really are proofs that the Bible is a reliable historical document. Proof number one, the historical events of the Bible. The things that the Bible says happened historically have been proven to have happened historically. The first reason to trust that the Bible is a reliable historical document is because of the proof of the historical events that it speaks about. Let me put it this way. We'll get ready to take our eighth trip to Israel in January. I think we've got 40 people, our largest trip we've ever taken to Israel. And the first three or four times that I went to Israel and I taught the Bible in Israel, I was standing as a teacher of scripture, but kind of as a student of faith. And as I'm standing in Old Testament locations that have been excavated, as I'm standing in the exact spot where things that I'm teaching about happen, I'm teaching the people with a real bold faith, this is what the Bible says and this is why you can believe it. And at the exact same time on the inside, I'm thinking, holy cow, this stuff's real. I, this stuff's real. 
this really happened. I'm not letting them know I'm excited about it because they need to believe that I'm already excited about it before I get there. But as I'm standing in all these biblical locations, as I'm standing in the 3,000-year-old city gates of the city of Dan where the prophet of Elijah would have stood to speak to kings, I'm thinking, this, this is real. This happened. And, and, I'm, and I'm here. The history of the Bible has been proven historically accurate. Uh, when I go to Israel and stand in the Israeli museum, and you can touch King Herod's tomb. I mean, you can touch it. It's been dug out of the ground and rebuilt. You can touch it. You think, this guy's real. He's in the Bible and he's, he's real. When you look at the big stone that has the inscription of Pontius Pilate on it, who for years, scholars said he didn't even exist. And then you look at this stone of a temple dedicated to him and you think, that guy was in the Bible and like, he's, he's, he's real. When, when you hear for hundreds of years that Roman crucifixion did not crucify anyone through their feet so the Bible can't be trusted, and then they dig, dig up a bone box or basically a very, a very small coffin, and they found uh, literally the nail left through the Achilles tendon of someone who had been crucified, you look, you look at this archaeological find in Scripture, and you think, well, the Bible said happened to Jesus is, is real, when you go look at Caiaphas, the high priest in the time of Jesus who sentenced him to death, when you look at his, his coffin, his bone box, it's beautifully inscribed, here lies Caiaphas, the high priest, and you can reach over and touch it. You're like, that's, re- that's real. The Bible says all these things that are historically real. Every year I read the entire Bible through, Genesis to Revelation. Every year I try to read the Bible entirely through, and every year I read a different study Bible. I've read almost every one that exists. One of my favorite I read in 2017 it was the NIV first century study Bible that was filled with first century artifacts. And my favorite part of this Bible as I began to dig into Scripture was the first few pages of Scripture after you get past the preface. They have a list of 40 different documents in the museums of the world. 40 different historical documents in the museums of the world. Think about that. The Bible has 66 books. These are 40 more books, cylinders, plaques, columns that all prove the history was in the Bible is also the world history that's also mentioned. Names of places, uh, names of battles, names of kings, tax records, things in history that are in museums that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ of Nazareth or the God of Israel. They said the, the things historically that this book said happened, these things all said happened. It's historically reliable. You know, not everything from heaven is manna from heaven that that you have to believe in, but you can't touch. Some of them are materials from history that have been dug up in archaeology, and you can go literally touch something that the Bible says happened. Nelson Glick, who who was a famous Jewish archaeologist, said this about the history of the Bible. It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discoverer has has ever controverted or contradicted a biblical reference. And trust me, people are trying. They just can't find them. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which actually confirm in clear outline, sometimes in exact detail, historical statements of the Bible. Did you know that nearly 80 people from the Bible have been found in extra-biblical material in history? People that the Bible said are real, that other things in history also say, yeah, these people are real. Yeah, we've, we've, we've found them too. 50 people in the Old Testament have been found. You can go find their names in museums all over the world. They're real people, not because the Bible says so, because history says so. 27 New Testament people have been found. They're real people, not because the New Testament says so, but because history, archaeology, says so. Kings, generals, warriors, community leaders, battles, invasions, 
trade inventories, taxation records. As a matter of fact, there is so much specific, detailed history recorded in the Bible that if it was not true, it would easily be proven fraudulent. There's just too much information to be put out if it's not all true because it can all be checked out. For example, Luke, who's our guide today, Luke, the New Testament author Luke referenced 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands in his telling of the story of Jesus and his church without a single mistake in the history or geography of their locations. So you say, here's a guy who clearly is taking great pains to be detailed in all of his information. Why would he be so detailed in the history but lie about the spiritual purpose behind it? That was the question of Sir William Ramsey. Sir William Ramsey was the most famous archaeologist of his days, a Scottish archaeologist who was not a Christian. He was the world's foremost expert on Asia Minor in the first century. And he believed that Luke put so much historical detail in his book that he could unravel all of Christianity because he said, Luke, he just overshot in his ability to try to give information. I am the expert on Asia Minor. If I can prove that Luke lied in his geography, his timing, his history, his places, his people, I can unravel the entire New Testament. So he set out to study the archaeology of Asia Minor to disprove the New Testament. And he found out basically everything Luke said was true. He not only ended up giving his life to Christ, but he would write this after his studies in the book of Luke. Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. This author should be placed along with the very great historians. Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect of its trustworthiness. The historical events of the Bible are proven to have taken place when they said they were taking place, where they said they were taking place in the manner that they were taking place. The historical events of the Bible prove the events took place. Do they prove the spiritual worldview behind them is true? It's another question that we need to look at. So as a history book, okay, good history. But spiritually, is it true? For that, we need to know that the Old Testament and the New Testament are reliable. So let's look at proof number two, the Old Testament scriptures. Are the Old Testament scriptures reliable? I say the second reason to trust that the Bible's a reliable historical document is because of the preservation of the Old Testament scriptures. So if you go to Israel with me in January, the site that we may not hit because, because in biblical history, it's one of the most boring sites that we go to because nothing in the Bible happened there. But when it comes to biblical importance, it may be the most important site in Israel are the caves of Qumran. The caves of Qumran sit between in Gedi, which is a great biblical site, and the Dead Sea, which is just a fun place to float in. Uh, Right near there in the Judean desert, there are these series of caves that are known as the Qumran Caves. You walk around, they've excavated a little bit of the Qumran community that's that's not of, of huge importance. But what is of huge importance that we do, the only fun thing we do at Qumran is in 1947, some shepherd boys lost their sheep and goats. They were looking for them. They thought they ran in caves, so they were throwing rocks in caves to try to scare out the sheep and goats that are run in them. They heard some pottery break, and they went in and found probably the most important cache of archaeological uh, historical documents of of the last thousand years. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls. More than a thousand documents that contained every one of the books of the Old Testament, except the book of Esther, 
written 100 years before Jesus was ever born, probably 125 years before Jesus was ever born. So when we go to this site because we're bored, because we're tired, because it's a Judean desert and we're hot, what we do is we have a rock throwing contest. We stand on one side of this golf and we see who can make it into the hole with the rock and people from other countries take pictures of us and laugh at us because they're like, these Americans are crazy and it's really hard actually to get a rock in there, but you try and then you just ice your arm at the end of the day. But if you can get a rock through there, You can just in your mind hear the pottery breaking. And what the pottery is breaking is basically this argument. Here's what the pottery is breaking. In the early 1900s, here was the argument against the Old Testament. It was a good one. Against trusting the Old Testament. Here was the argument. The Christian community made subtle changes to the Old Testament scriptures in order to prove that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. You say, how could they say that? Before the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest or the earliest um, copies of the Hebrew Old Testament in the world that anyone could hold in their hands were written in about AD 900. So so the earliest copy of the Old Testament in the Hebrew language that anyone could hold in their hands was written 800 years after Jesus was born. So the Jews of the day said, listen, this Old Testament proves Jesus in the New Testament because Christians went back and they put all that information in. As a matter of fact, there's no way anybody could get that much information about a person right before he actually lived. So there's no question sometime between like 0 AD and 900 AD, they backfilled the Old Testament with all this information about Jesus. That's the only way they'd have gotten all these things right. So you can't, you can't trust the Old Testament or the Bible. And then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Every Old Testament book, but the book of Esther, written 125 years before there was even one Christian alive in the world, written 125 years before Jesus was born. And they say the exact same thing that the Old Testament in your Bible says. See, it's the exact same thing. See, the, today's truth is this. The Old Testament we have in our Bibles today, it's the exact same one the Jews have possessed for 3,000 years, including all the promises and predictions of the Savior who would suffer, die, and raise to life, who we meet in the New Testament as a person named Jesus. I love when we go to Israel to go to the scriptorium at the Israeli Museum where they've got Isaiah uh, the book of Isaiah wrapped around kind of as the, the big display. And I love going to find Isaiah 53 in the Hebrew language with the plaques and take a picture of it because Isaiah 53 was prophesied 125, I mean, it dated 125 years before Jesus came. Isaiah 53 said that a Jewish Messiah would come, he would suffer, he would die, he'd be buried, he'd be, he'd be raised from the dead. It's good proof for me. It's good proof for me. The Dead Sea Scrolls prove the Old Testament can be trusted. Say, so, yeah, but what about, what about the New Testament? How do we know the New Testament can be trusted? Let's look at proof number three, the New Testament documents. What do we learn about the New Testament documents? What's called in scholarship, the New Testament manuscripts. Let's, let's look at Luke chapter one, verses one through three again. Because Luke is one of them, and Luke says there's lots of them. Luke says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. Lots of people writing lots of things about Jesus. That's, that's what that means. There's lots of people writing lots of things about Jesus. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the world. He said, said, the people who saw it happen have been writing about it. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully invested everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So he tells his friend, people have been writing about Jesus. The, The people who were eyewitnesses have been telling his story for years. I decided to check it out too. There's lots of people writing about Jesus. How do we know we can trust what's written about Jesus? This is the key question of today's message. Can the New Testament be trusted as credible history? 
Like would an unbiased scholar who's just a historian look at the New Testament and say, yep, that's that's the same one that was originally written. Christians should ask this question eventually. Can I trust the New Testament? Every Christian should ask it. If you haven't asked it, you should. Christians will be asked this question. In our generation, in the year 2019, 2020, 2021, as long as we live, we will be asked this question. We should be able to answer it. So can the New Testament be trusted as credible history? I'm going to give you way too much information right now, but if you pull this out of your bulletin, I've got a chart that shows you how ancient history has been preserved and what has been considered trustworthy history. I'm not going to go all the way through this chart, so hold this chart in one hand, hold your sermon notes on the other, and let's just talk, because here's what we know about written ancient history considered reliable in the world of unbiased scholarship. Some of the most credible written history in the ancient world has the first existent copies, mean ones that still exist, more than a thousand years after the original autographs, more than a thousand years after the ink dried, with fewer than a dozen copies still preserved. Yet, some of these guys in chart 1.1 are considered the greatest historians in the world. Let's start at the bottom. Put a little star by Tacitus. Tacitus was a Greek historian. He is considered one of the most historic, inaccurate historians of, of the ancient world. Watch how his history's been preserved. He wrote his history about 100 AD. So... 50 to 65 years after Jesus was crucified, he writes his history of Greek history. The earliest copy you can hold in your hand today, the oldest one that's ever been found has been dated to 1100 AD, which means there's a thousand years that existed between what he wrote and what we have, yet the world of scholarship says you can absolutely trust that he's one of the most reliable historians in the ancient world. Let's, let's go up one to Suetonius. And by the way, if you look, there's, and there's 20 copies of his writings. 20, only 20 that exist in the world. Let's go up to Suetonius. Maybe put a little star by him. He was a very well-respected administrator who was the chief secretary of the Roman emperor Hadrian from 70 AD to about 140 AD. He wrote his history of all of Hadrian's rule and reign that we study in ancient history today. But the oldest, the earliest copy of his book that you can touch, that you can hold in your hand in a museum, has been dated to 950 AD. So there's 800 years between Winnie Road and what we have, but the world of scholarship says that can be tr- it can be trusted because he is a trusted and reliable historian. By the way, they're not even sure how many really old ancient copies they have. There's a handful. If you go up to Pliny, Pliny was another Roman historian. He was a Roman administrator who corresponded with the emperor Trajan. The thing I love about Pliny, who is a well-respected Roman historian, is he wrote back and forth with the emperor about, about Christians. He talked about Christians and what they needed to do with them. But his earliest work, he wrote in 61 to, to 113 AD. So he, he wrote about the same time that the apostle Paul was doing ministry in Rome. The earliest copy of his documents that you can touch are dated to 850 AD, 750 years in between them, and there are seven that survive. These are, according to scholarship, some of the most well-respected, reliable historians in the ancient world. That's how scholarship sees ancient history and trusts ancient history. You say, well, what about the New Testament? The New Testament has nearly 25,000 existent copies that you can hold in your hand of ancient texts that has been preserved, some as early as 100 years after the original autographs. So, so again, we look at Tacitus. 
Greek historian, he had a bunch of documents survive. How many? 20. How many New Testament documents have survived in history? 25,000. 25,000. When you, when you look at chart 1.2 and you look at how much time elapsed between the writing and the copy, we have a portion of Matthew chapter 26. We know it had to be written in the first century and it's been dated to the first century. It's not very likely that things are changed in the generation that the author's still alive because he would say, no, I didn't write that. We have copies of the book of John written in 980 AD in the John Rylands papyrus, the Bodmer papyrus, that have been dated to 130 AD, 40 years after they were written, 150 to 200 years AD, 60. So the, the next generation, we have copies of the book of John that are the exact same as what's in our Bible today that you can hold in your hand and carbon date to a generation after they were written. And if you really want to get excited about your faith and believing the Bible, go down to the Codex Vaticanus, the Codex Sinaiticus, the Codex Alexandria. Say, so what does Codex mean? It means book. It means the entire Bible. It means by 350 AD, there were copies of the entire Bible on three different continents. From Genesis to Revelation, all of it. Dated to 325 to 350 AD. There was one on the continent of Africa in the Alexandria Library. There was one on the continent of Europe in the Vatican Library. There was one on the continent of Asia in the Sinai Library. Like the three most populated, cultured, educated continents in the world, less than 300 years after Jesus died, all had a copy of the entire scriptures that you can go and see today in a museum. And if you just add up all the scraps of chapter and verse that are written... At the, very, at the very bottom, 5,664 5, Greek manuscripts, over 10,000 in Latin, over 8,000 in other languages, most of them North African languages. Before the printing press came about, we have more than 24,000 different documents from the New Testament. By any unbiased scholarly study, we would say the New Testament is one of the most reliable documents in ancient history, in the history of the world. But as a Christian, I would still say, what about that 300-year gap? I mean, for me, it's nice to know you've got a, a, a copy of Matthew 26, but what about that 300-year gap before they had the whole Bible? Christian, can we really know it wasn't changed in 300 years? That's where chart 1.3 comes in. It's one of my favorite parts of ancient history. Chart 1.3 are the early church fathers who quoted from the New Testament. These guys all lived between the end of the New Testament being written and the copies of the Bible that we have today. The dates you see on the writers are the dates they died. Justin Martyr died in AD 165. Some people think he was personally mentored and discipled by the Apostle John. Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Tertullian, Hippolytus, Eusebius. You see the dates that these guys died. Before we have a completed New Testament that we can hold in our hand, we have their writings. And all they did was quote from the New Testament more than 36,000 times. You say, how could that happen if there wasn't a New Testament? It couldn't. It makes no philosophical sense to think that different guys on different continents living 100 years of apart could all quote the same things if there wasn't an existent document that was being processed around. We don't have it. But, but we have their writings, and their writings prove that it was there. Listen, today we're asking, can we trust that the original Bible has been preserved in what we hold today? Let's, re, let's review real quick. Three things say, yeah. 
The historical events of Scripture have been confirmed hundreds of times through archaeology. Archaeology proves history. Don't ever forget that. No archaeological discovery has destroyed the historical credibility of Scripture at this time. I'll even give you at this time. Up to this point, it hasn't. Number two, the Dead Sea Scrolls prove that the Old Testament Scriptures that we have are the exact same Scriptures that were taught by Jesus and the apostles. Archaeology proves the history. The Dead Sea Scrolls prove the Old Testament. And number three, the New Testament manuscript evidence far surpasses. Like you should circle the word, underline, highlight, like far surpasses. There's nothing close in ancient literature that comes close to the New Testament being a reliable and accepted document of ancient history, which means, number four, if we're unbiased scholars just studying evidence, the Bible stands as a trustworthy, reliable and carefully preserved source of ancient history. The question we need to ask then is, why is this important? You say, Christian, I feel like I've been sitting at a history class, not church. I'm kind of bored. Now, there are some nerds that are like, this is the greatest church service I've ever sat in in the history of my life. There's others of you, you've been watching the pregame on your phone. You got one little earbud in your ear. It's like, it's all right. When your friend asks you this, tell him to ask your nerd friend, call him and he'll know the answer. Why, why is this important? As, as a Christian, why should this be important to me? Because of Hebrews chapter four. Because Hebrews four says this, why should it be important to me that, that the Bible we have is the word of God? Because here's what the word of God is. It's alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul in the spirit, the joints in the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 said, the scripture is for your soul. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's side. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Historically speaking, you can trust the historic reliability of this document. But spiritually speaking, you have to open it to know it. And the author of Hebrews says, one day you're going to be accountable for it. So you have to open it to know it, and you got to study it to learn it. See, it's not just important to trust the Bible so that we can say, okay, the Bible's true. It's important to trust the Bible so when we open it, we can know how we can know God. We can know how God wants to transform our life. We can know that God created us for a purpose. We can know how to go fulfill that purpose and make a difference. That's why it's important to trust the Bible. And here's my, here's my fear. I'll be honest with you. My fear is not that one day I, I will die and stand before God and realize, hey, this wasn't reliable history you missed. My fear is not that I'll get to God and realize this wasn't a reliable, trustworthy document. My fear is that I'll get to heaven and realize this was a reliable, trustworthy document and I am accountable to live by it and I didn't open it and study it enough to do a good job. That's what I'm afraid of. Not that I'm wrong, but that I'm right, but not in pursuit of Jesus. Hebrews 4.12 says it's, it's alive and it's active, but here's why. To shape your soul, to get ready to meet God because one day you're gonna be accountable to him. So you wanna know God? You want to be transformed by God? You want to find who God has created you to be and live your life doing that for the rest of your life? Open the Bible, get in the word. It will get you ready to meet God, but only if you begin to open it and get it inside of you. And that is my prayer for you. For those of you at our video teaching service, that's my prayer for all of you. Open it, read it, know God, be transformed. Find your purpose, make a difference. Get ready to meet God because one day you will. To pray for me, with me as we consider these things? Here and in our video teaching service, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. God, thank you 
for writing to us so that we might know who you are and thank you for archaeology that proves hundreds of times that the events of the Bible are true. Thank you for the Dead Sea Scrolls that prove so undoubtedly that we can believe the Old Testament. Thank you for the undeniable evidence of the New Testament manuscripts that help us trust we're reading what was really written. And God thanks most of all that if we read what we say we believe, it will teach us to know you. It'll transform us. It will help us find our purpose. It will allow us to make the difference you've created us to make. It will help us get ready to meet you. Thank you for Luke and others like him, skeptics turned scholars, who said, let me check it out, and then let me help convince the world that it's true so they can be ready to meet God. Thank you for what we've learned. Use it in our life and help us to be ready to use it in the hearts of our friends who are earnestly seeking Jesus, but they need to have some questions answered. God, that's our prayer. And we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.